Hi, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast about the classical stuff that you should know. And we are three guys who do a podcast. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, <laughs> You've well, I can't say out. I can't say we're experts because it's not like we're experts. But we are amateurs. We're really selling it right now. No, we're amateurs. Which we do a podcast and we're not experts. No, we're just who, three guys talking to a new microphone. Who, hey, is a, guys. who is a guy who's an expert doing a podcast? We're definitely um, not but experts. we're amateurs, which means we love this stuff. Sure. So and uh, so we love old things and books and literature, which is a subsection of books and music. And AJ does pictures sometimes. Um, and, and doors. And doors. And doors. <laughs> we had a, we had a we have a couple of door episodes. And uh, you hush, they were great. They were great. I just want to be they clear. Were, I actually really like those doors. And I, I say yeah. this every single time, but on YouTube, we actually have like all the pictures that AJ is referencing in those videos. So you should watch those on YouTube, please. I mean, they are good episodes to start with. One could even call them gateway episodes Ugh. to the rest of the podcast. I hate everything. Um, or like a threshold. So Thomas, what's your topic? Yeah, <laughs> anything other than this conversation. Mm. Okay, so uh, <laughs> I, I guess I'll dive into it. Uh, so I'll be talking today about a man named Frederick Douglass. Uh, I'll probably... We'll do some lead-in to actually talking about our subject today. We are recording this episode on July 5th, July 5th, which makes this the 170th anniversary of a speech that Frederick Douglass gave titled, What to the Slave mm. is the Fourth of July, which will be eventually what we get to. And by when I say eventually get to, I mean three episodes from now when I decide to actually talk about the content. Uh, before we start even on our path there, yesterday was a day of note. Uh, what was yesterday? Independence Day. Independence Day. The 4th of July. What are we celebrating on the 4th of July? The Declaration of Independence. Sure. So, but then they all think that it was going to be the 2nd of July was sure. the big day. Sure did. I think it was ratified. Was it ratified on the 4th? Or ra- yeah. yeah. Ratified, ratified on the 4th. And I want to say finish on the 2nd is maybe what that was. but Or the 2nd was another, another day where they, um, anyway, yeah. Uh, during the American Revolution, the legal separation of the 13 colonies from Great Britain actually occurred on July 2nd, which was... Yes, that was it. So where they said, we're out. And yeah. then on the 4th was the Declaration of Actual ratification. So, um, you know, this is maybe in the lore of uh, classical stuff um, things. So, gentlemen, yesterday, mm-hmm. how did we celebrate the 4th of July? Fireworks. Those are things that happened. The three Hot of dogs. us, the three of us were all together. We were all mm-hmm. together as friends. Celebrating on the 4th of July. I read the, dec- I read the Declaration of Independence at dinner. Do you um, do you remember what part were you just reading the the intro all the way up till they start complaining, telling us what the king did bad? You want so I, I know you don't have a computer in front of you. Do you want to pull that up just so sure. we we have it there? Getting a little gram reading would be nice. But uh, yeah, I mean we got we did not have any fireworks there, but we did have delicious. Uh, I think you all were grilling hot dogs out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had grilled hamburgers as well. So we just had like the 4th of July typical spread out which was great. I also bought tzatziki cuz I love tzatziki. Not exactly it's the not most American. Yeah, not but not the most 4th of July thing. But we, of, we got Greeks. We do have Greeks, that's right. So I guess good to have kind of the melting pot thing going on. Yeah. Can't complain. Do you have it pulled up? I do. The Declaration of Independence? Well, just the so Graham yesterday um, you know, uh, conducted a toast to celebrate the 4th of July and this is what Graham read. You want me to read the whole thing that I read or yesterday? That you read yesterday. Okay. That'll be fine. cool. Sure. The unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitled them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the cause which impels them to the separation. 
We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it, and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Wonderful. Prudence indeed. Oh, you wanted me no, to? Keep going. Okay. Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for their light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience hath shown that mankind are more, are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably to the same objective, evidences the design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty, to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future, future security. Such has been the patient sufferances of these colonies, etc., etc. Wonderful. And there is much more in there, but it goes on to talk about the king and the stuff yeah. he's done, which is not... So, let me tell you what he did. That's not that great. <laughs> um, and in listening to that, I don't know your reaction in hearing, in listening to the Declaration of Independence. I think part of it is a pride. There's a incredible uh, bravery in the men that that did that. They they took on action against um, the British and were willing to go to war over their conviction of the unjustness of the relationship that they had at the time. So there's like a lot of like really really good stuff in there. And maybe you two don't feel this way, but um, there's kind of an awkwardness. Not awkwardness. There's like a discomfort in hearing that also. And maybe this is brought on by kind of the modern conversation about um, kind of a reinterpretation of history, but it's hard to listen to that and only take the heroic view toward those founders because there's a there's a there's an inconsistency baked into what they're writing in the Declaration versus kind of the life that they're going to lead after that. Obviously, since I'm talking about Frederick Douglass, we're we're getting into just to talk a little bit about slavery as this inconsistency, a, a statement of this need for independence, man, all men being created equal. And men who are not treated equally, um, and well, obviously not. Um, we're, we're talking primarily about men in this, and um, because women's suffrage happens after. Yeah, this. some some are more equal than others. Turns out. Yeah, and which I, I think isn't that an animal farm line, but yep. um, they, you know, the founders were able to both write and proclaim that line on one side, and then own slaves and um, and have slavery in the union on the other. So there's like this inconsistency baked in. I don't want to totally. The thing I'm trying to do is kind of a both sidesing because I don't want to say, I don't want to follow down the path of this whole thing is wicked and wretched because slavery is in existence. I don't know if this is something you all have opinions on, but sure. the issue of slavery is one that's fought over at the founding of the United States. Um, and essentially it's... Well, they even fought about whether they put it in the, in the declaration itself, right? Uh, isn't there a line about... Um, I want to say it was about revolts. Uh, well, I feel like, I mean, I was just reading something and I didn't take note of it, but I, I thought that, that part of the, the delay was that, not the delay, but when they were, when, um, when the, what, the, what are those, the, the people that wrote it, like the five, they call it like the, anyway. Of the people who were actually oh, writing yeah, the. Yeah, there was, uh, uh, they were almost done and, and then they realized that they needed, they were going to talk about slavery and then they struck um, 
uh, lines about about slavery out of it because there was disagreement among the the states. Yeah. Anyway, whatever. As there was also once they get to writing the Constitution, there's disagreement over what to include in there. Um, but you know, it's just as a historical fact, there was um, slavery practiced in sure. the United States at its founding, um, and this. Uh, kind of inconsistency sits there. I, I don't want to say it's like not, it's not, it's clearly something that is fought about. There are many members of the suffrage movement who, or I'm sorry, um, Abolition. uh, ab- abolitionists who are fighting for the freedom of the slaves. But um, there's kind of this long period of appeasement is probably the best way to put it, that essentially the, 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 policy. So just imagine, again, we're starting on the east coast of the United States. As we move west, new states are added into the Union. And um, uh, essentially, there's the states are balanced out such that there's an equal number of free states, an equal number of slave states to or, uh, to allow for a balance in the Senate. This is mostly desired by the Southerners so that um, uh, slavery can't be like abolished uh, via the Senate. So there's kind of this balance of power that goes back and forth. Uh, this uh, tension is there, it will eventually lead into the Civil War, but there are many things that happen before that. Um, the person I'll be talking about is Frederick Douglass. Uh, Frederick Douglass is interesting for many reasons. Uh, do you all have any, Just I usually try and solicit from you all just your thoughts about the topic. What do you all know about Frederick Douglass? What are some kind of things that come to mind when you think about him? A man is worked on by what he works on. That's a quote of his that's in my commonplace book. And I know him from, because the, the, the book that you're talking about, the speech, is one that our juniors read. And mm-hmm. so I, I know it in, in the context of juniors talking about um, what is the 4th of July yeah. speech. But that's, I mean, frankly, that's, that's all I know. Sure. Most of what I know about him I got from Drunk History. Is there, what's the, so Drunk History is a historian telling a story drunkenly. What's the story that they're telling? Do you remember? <sighs> is he an escaped slave? He, yes, he yeah. is. Him, I think, going and talking to the president, but I forget what happens. He does. He it's been a while. That'll happen. The His interactions with Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Well, Lincoln, obviously. Well, not obviously. You don't know when this was written. Lincoln is president after this speech that he gives. So his interactions with Lincoln happen after 1852, which is with the time period we're talking about. Uh, so I don't know what the drunk history story is about. But yes, these are true things we've said so far. Uh, the other, the thing that's interesting about Frederick Douglass is that he, his life spans such an important period of American history. And he, uh, after, um, his escape from slavery around the age of 20, he, he, he becomes an, um, anti-slavery, um, he, he, he speaks in the, uh, in the cause of abolition. And so his writings or his speeches, which he turned into pamphlets and now we have as things that we can read track this incredibly important moment in history. And I guess just from, it's the combination of speeches are written to be persuasive and they're kind of the most concise form of an argument that you can get Mm -hmm. that's still like compelling. And just the topic of what he's covering is fascinating. And so if you just like look at his active life from somewhere around 1835 to when he dies in 1895, again, you're covering... Yeah, the rise of the abolition movement. You're covering Dred Scott. War. You're covering the Civil War, and then you're covering Reconstruction. Mm-hmm. So you, and so you get to see all of this through the eyes of a significant black intellectual during that time. And so uh, I'll be focusing on just one of his story or one of his speeches because it's great. If you want more about him, there is a great biography that is called Prophet. Is a Prophet of Freedom? 
these are things you, yeah, Frederick Douglass, Prophet of Freedom by David Blight, that um, was helpful for me in coming up with some of the ideas in this episode, but it's a great book. All right, so I won't go, I won't go too much into it. Frederick Douglass um, was born in Maryland. Um, he was born into slavery in Maryland. Um, he, um, he, we don't know who his father was. There are rumors and he was, he had heard these rumors that it was either his first or second owner could have been his father, but he didn't ultimately know. There's research into that now that perhaps has um, more closely settled it, but we still don't really know who his father was. He was separated from his mother very young and would live with his grandmother until, um, I believe, until he was old enough to essentially be moved on his own. Uh, he, what else do we have on here? Um, yeah, he, his early years in life, um, we don't have a ton of information about um, because M Frederick Douglass would go on to write three autobiographies and he didn't write his first one until I want to say 1840. I have it on here somewhere. Sorry. Um, until 1845. So most information we have on his early life is him in 1845, looking back on his early years. He was born in 1818. So 20 years ago is what he's trying to remember. Um, so born in 1817 or 1818, we don't, he doesn't know the specific day, so he would always say that he was born on February 14th. He <laughs> would say this because his mother would call him Little Valentine, and so he would <laughs> then claim as his birthday the 14th. Um, he would be he would um, work in the homes of three families, the Ald family, the Freeland family, and the Covey, fam the Covey family. Um, he would be taught to um, read while in the Ald family. So when he was about 12 years old, um, the matriarch of the family he was um, working for at the time would teach him to read, and um, this this was this was something he viewed as an, an obviously a very significant moment in his in his upbringing. Um, Graham, you referenced a quote before. What was the one about the library? Well, I, when you said, "What do you remember from?" or what when you think of Frederick Douglass, what pops into your mind? And I thought, wasn't he uh, make some sort of reference to um, spending lots of time in the library or being able to go to the library and taking up and having a library card and taking up books? Or maybe he even like like forged a library card. I can't remember. I, I don't know about that. He would that first part though is spot on. Of as soon as he learned to read, he would um, read anything that he could. He mm -hmm. would start collecting as many references as he could. Uh, I don't know if we'll actually get into it when we get into his speech, but it's filled with biblical allusions. It's quotes uh, of Shakespeare. It's quotes of poets. He's clearly gathering and, and reading very widely as he's, um, or as much as possible as he is, as he uh, grows up. Um, by 1837, so around the age of 20, um, he had at this point attempted to um, escape from Maryland where um, he was enslaved to enter one of the northern states so that he could not be enslaved, obviously. He had failed in his first attempt, and it appears it was somewhat doubtful that he ever could escape to the north. It just, after, he just didn't think it was possible after that point. Uh, he would eventually meet a woman named Anna Murray, and Anna Murray was a former slave who herself had escaped to the north, and she motivated Frederick Douglass to realize that he too could make it to the north, she also helped by funding a portion of the trip. It involved a number of uh, train trips that he needed 
obviously money to buy a ticket to get on the train. I forget how he, he, he at some point had to dress up as a soldier to make it through his path north. And I don't know if she provided that um, that outfit or if he found it himself, but it's a short period. It only took him 24 hours to escape, but there's just a lot that went into it. Multiple train rides, again, having to dress up as someone else. Um, and then he eventually um, made it to the north. I think he made it first to Pennsylvania and then eventually further north to New York where most of his, where he would live uh, primarily. So that's 1838 that he escaped. 12 days after he escapes, he marries Anna Murray, which is awesome. Aww. Isn't that something? Yeah. And I think I think she was five years his senior, uh, but they, you know, similar in age, but they very quickly got married afterwards, which is great. Uh, it's somewhere around this time where he also uh, adopts the name Douglas. Um, it was at, anyway, um, through someone's recommendation, that's the name that he, he chose to go by and that they, that she would eventually have as her last name as well. He became a licensed pastor in 1839. He joined the African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church, which is a denomination because he attend, he tried to go to other churches first, but they were segregated. And so he refused to attend them. Um, and that's his, I mean, this is important for his early life, but again, just think of the, the swing that we're going to go through in this man's life where he goes from, he's born into slavery. He's escaped at this point and he's going to live through the full abolition of slavery. And then the aftermath of that, um, which obviously we won't get to, but that's the, the course of his life, which is, I mean, what a blessing to be as an abolitionist able to see the end of it. Yes. Right. That, I mean, that's huge. I agree with that. I think there is also some amount of disappointment at what the end included because in, 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 the, in the South, particularly the reconstruction. Yeah. yeah. Cause you know, you can solve one thing at the federal level, but then, you know, polling is handled at the local level. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, it doesn't end the issue, but it's, it's, it's something that would have seemed impossible when he was born. It's a win. Yes. It's, it's a, right. It's you take, a win. You take him when you can get him. <laughs> sure. That's definitely sure. But when you have like a war and then there's a, the, the reconstruction and there's usually whenever there's the end of any sort of conflict, there's always the like, well, we're going to, you know, the winner, we're going to grind it into the loser. I don't know there's, it's, sure. it's an area of history that I don't know much about. Uh, or more, there's an area of history I want to know more about. Sure. Is it seems like a lot of things, a lot of um, uh, things were set in motion during the Reconstruction after the Civil War that yes. maybe we don't know a lot about, just sort of in our popular understanding of the history of the country, that actually have a lot of um, ramifications for how the next hundred years played out. Sure, absolutely. So at this point, he has escaped. He's in New York. And he's become a licensed pastor. He befriends uh, an abolitionist named William Lloyd Garrison. Do you know William Lloyd Garrison? The thing that's relevant here is that he, uh, well, he published a, a newspaper, which is, uh, he published a newspaper from the 18, I don't remember when it started, 1830s or something. And he, he published it from then until the abolition of slavery. So it was an abolitionist mag, uh, newspaper. So that's also one of those incredible, like he got to see that full sway of things. Um, he was encouraged by William Lloyd Garrison to become a speaker, become a public speaker and thinker on the abolitionist cause. And this kind of kicks off why Frederick Douglass is so well known today. In addition to his life, and, and I'll say his autobiography, his first one in particular, is very popular. That's 1845, The Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, an American Slave. This is first book. He's a little funny in that he publishes two more autobiographies as well but he's covering the same events in his later autobiographies. And so he'll reinterpret some things later down the line. It's plagiarism. 
yeah, it's maybe self plagiarism. I, mean, I don't really know how that works. That is fascinating, though. Like to think about how you reinterpret how you interpret your life as you get older. Like when you look back at yes. something when you if you're writing your autobiography at what like 25, whatever he was when he right. wrote that first one, to when you're 45, to when you're near the end. I don't know. It's kind of an interesting thought about what were those teenager years. I thought about it this way when I was 22. Now I think about it this way when I'm 39. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I think is drawn out really well in that uh, Prophet of Freedom book from mm-hmm. David Blight that, you know, as all people do, Frederick Douglass is someone who develops in his thought as he grows older. This is true of all thoughtful people, I'm sure, in that you see a kind of pessimism in early Douglas that ameliorates over time, that lessens over time into, I think optimism is a term that is kind of pushed back on, but there is a type, there's a hope. That's the word he'll literally use in the speech toward what the future could bring. Um, and so that's why I find Douglas fascinating. Um, yeah, I'll, the, the way that we get to this story is that in 1852, he's asked to give a speech uh, the location is Corinthian Hall, and it's organized by the Rochester Ladies Anti-Slavery Society. And um, he's asked to talk about the 4th of July. Now, I said at the beginning, today is the 5th of July. The speech is actually given on the 5th of July. So I promise it's actually the 170th anniversary of the speech. But um, Now, was the occasion they were thinking he was just going to give a, um, a rah, like rah. boilerplate rah-rah 4th of July speech? That's my understanding. Um, it c- that's my understanding. Because just think of like, if you're going to a 4th of July speech, mm-hmm. you're expecting a feel-good story yeah. about, we're going to read yeah, the Declaration. We're going to talk, talk about, we're going to talk, talk about how great it was that our forefathers did these mighty deeds, mm-hmm. that they were so brave, and then let's go on our merry way and eat some hot dogs. I think that's also what Douglas expected, thinks that they expected. And much of the fun of the speech, fun is the wrong word, much of what's interesting about this speech is how he undermines that almost immediately. Um, so, uh, Obviously, I just want to read most of what he wrote in the speech. I think it's fascinating. Did you say, is it in that? I was just about to look. I don't think it is. Okay, so 18... Oh, sorry, I have the, the documentary history of the United States, yeah. uh, which is just a primary assessment. So we have it at, we use it in our history class at Veritas, and I was yeah. just seeing if it's in here. I don't think it is. Which, feel free to, if you want to pull it up, again, the title of this is uh, What to the Slave is the Fourth of July. What was the name of that newspaper? The Liberator? Yeah, yeah. There's a, the Abolitionist Crusade, the first issue of The Liberator is yeah. in this documentary history. Does it say when it was? Was it 1830-something? I can look it up. Oh, here. It's not super important. Um, but, yes, I, the way he starts the speech, and just if you think of what do we want on a 4th of July speech, it seems like he's supposed to just give the, isn't it great to be in America speech? And he does start with that. He's, you know, he's not roasting his audience immediately off the bat. Um, uh Again, I just have lots of quotes here. This, for the purpose of the celebration, is the 4th of July. It is the birthday of your national of your national independence and of your political freedom. This, to you, is what the Passover was to the emancipated people of God. It carries your minds back to the day and to the act of your great deliverance and to the signs and to the wonders associated with that act and that day. This celebration also marks the beginning of another year of your national life and reminds you that the Republic of America is now 76 years old. So that's a lot of what the opening is. Um, just from my poor reading of that one quote, is there anything funny that sticks out in the way that he has framed the 4th of July? Well, that it's, it's the exact same as the, ensla- uh, as the, the, the analogy uses is the enslaved Jewish people. Yes. Uh, because he's obviously going to draw the link between that and that there is an enslaved people continuing to this day. 
I'll, I'll read another quote exactly in line with that. Oppression makes a wise man mad. Your fathers were wise men, and if they did not go mad, they became restive under this treatment. They felt themselves the victim of grievous wrongs, wholly incurable in their colonial capacity. With brave men, there is always a remedy for oppression. Mm-hmm. So he's claiming to be talking about the founding. He's clearly talking mm-hmm. about something else, mm-hmm. right? There's, an, there's another thing in here, which but is... But also using that rhetoric device of ingratiating yourself to the audience. I understand the, the, the meaning of this occasion for you, and I can voice it in a way that like, shows that I'm sympathetic to it. Hey, by the way, it is the same as this thing that you should be caring about with me. And it's, you know, it's brilliant. That's, I agree with that. And I, and I guess that's part of the reason I'm bringing this to you all, is that I know he's doing something masterful here. I don't know the formula that he's following or the, the names for whatever this is. I'm sure this is some type of comparison right? exordium, I guess, but is this, so comparison would be that he's common be, topic of be comparison. The common topic of comparison. We're probably still in the exordium, mm-hmm. although this is, I think this is ceremonial yeah, discourse ceremonial rather than, than um, judicial or deliberative deliberative. Um, yeah, it's not deliberative. So I don't think it follows the same format. Mm-hmm. Okay. And his, I haven't done as much studying of ceremonial discourse. Okay. But he'll definitely spend, he spends a decent amount of time in this setup. Um, when we, when we say exordium, do we just mean the first part of the speech? Is there a more the setup is also the, the intro near audio, the background? Yeah. And that's the thing. That's why I don't, I don't yeah, think it follows the same mm-hmm. thing. Ceremonial is a little bit different. Okay. But so when you say ceremonial, you just mean he's actually giving a formal speech, a speech that is, uh, commemorating the event that yep. is happening in the present. Yep. So yeah, the three types of discourse have to do with time. So judicial is trying to find out what happened in the past. Ceremonial is concerned with the now and then uh, deliberative is concerned with what we do in the future. And so ceremonial is usually to praise or blame, right? That's usually what's happening is you are praising something or blaming something. Okay. Um, like to lift everybody's spirits and say, what a great day. This is fantastic. Everyone's at this wedding. We are all so blessed. Look at all you smiling. And I love these two people and happy life. Right. I do wonder, cause he'll make a shift pretty soon that again, we'll talk about, but, um, so like take the Julius Caesar, um, speech, the Mark Antony speech where, um, ostensibly Antony is praising Brutus. Brutus is an honorable man, but obviously he's actually using it to he's undermine blaming it. Yeah. Um, would that, is that a ceremonial speech that, Anthony is giving at that point. Maybe that category is not helpful, but what, how would you? I would say it's cer- it's ceremonial. Yeah. I would say that maybe it leaks a little bit into judicial at the past end of it, trying to figure out what actually happened. Okay. Um, but but yeah, it's it's. I would say it's pretty ceremonial. Okay. I just wonder because I think that kind of similar um, setup and then kind of um, inversion in the speech is what Douglas is doing here. Uh, so I wasn't sure if. And again, Douglas is well read on Shakespeare, mm-hmm. so he he would he would understand a reference like that. But um, yeah, I wasn't sure if there was like a name for that, but I'll keep going with it and we can keep reacting. So again, this opening is about praising the events of 1776, the bravery um, that is existed in the 4th of July or the 2nd of July or that whole period of leading up to 1776. Um, fellow citizens, I am not wanting in respect um, for the fathers of this Republic, the signers of the declaration of Independence were brave men. They were great men too, great men to give fame to a great age. So that's the, the general feel of this entire first section is, uh, praise. It's the ceremonial speech that is appropriate to the venue he's giving. And I think is what the, um, the, the group gathered there. I think that's what they wanted to hear for the entire speech. Uh, unfortunately, I want to say this is a 20 page speech. 14 of the pages are spent in this middle section, which is very much not the polite, uh, be proud of your past. 
This is the transition where he kind of moves into the second part of the speech. I leave, therefore, the great deeds of your fathers to other gentlemen whose claim to have been, re- whose claim to have been regularly descended will be less likely to be dis- disputed than mine. But my business, if I have any here today, is with the present. The accepted time with God and his cause is the ever-living now. Trust no future, however pleasant. Let the dead past bury its dead. Act, act in the living present, heart within, and God overhead. You catch that? What's mm. that last one? The trust no future, however pleasant? Isn't that a Longfellow? Yeah, it's a Psalm of Life by Longfellow. Um, uh, I fr- sorry, I forgot if we had just said this. Did I comment on his use of your in the first section? Mm-hmm. So no, you, you haven't, but it, it's, yeah. Just to say that, I'm sure you all noticed it, but mm-hmm. that he's very clearly Distancing saying... Distancing himself from... Yes, that this is great for you. This is great that your independence was achieved on this day, setting up that his is not. Mm-hmm. Or, or um, So that's... He then makes this transition to say, yes, the past, these past events are great, but we must then use this past to deal with the present. Um, we have to do with the past only as we have to do with the past only as we can make it useful to the present and to the future. Fellow citizen, pardon me. Allow me to ask, why am I called upon to speak here today? What have I or those I represent to do with your national independence? Are the great principles of political freedom and of natural justice embodied in that declaration of independence extended to us? And am I therefore called upon to bring our humble offering to the national altar and to confess the benefits and express devout gratitude for the blessings resulting from your independence to us? Can you imagine being in the room? Those little church ladies are probably like getting a little, <laughs> little shifting in their pews a little bit. Honestly. Unless, but we're, we're, we're assuming the context. Unless this is exactly, that they were like, all right. We gotta fire them. We gotta fire these people up. Uh, yeah. What What was the context in which you give this? I'll say again. again. So Corinthian Hall is the venue. There are six hundred people in attendance, and it's the Rochester Ladies Anti Slavery Society. Okay. So, so, they, okay. so they know what they're getting into. They do. Douglas's critique is not only against the slaveholding states. For what that's worth, there were problems in the North related mm-hmm. to racial relations. So uh, they will eventually be won over to his argument. But I I could also see there being that discomfort of. I wanted the happy, sp- I, I don't know exactly what they expected. I am reading too much into what I think it sure. was like to sit there, but there is like a, a it, it's like, dang buddy. It's a satirical uh, satire is probably the wrong word, but there's something to it of like, it's, it, there's some barbs. Yes. And clearly some kind of, um, something was expected. And he, he, he knows that again, that's the point of the, why was I called upon to speak here? Mm-hmm. He think he thinks it was to give this praise, but he's actually here to do something else. So there is that going on there too. Um, Man, all I want to do is read long quotes. I apologize in advance. Um, That's okay. The quotes are awesome. He, yeah. I'm really enjoying them. All I ever say is just go and read the actual speech, which is the thing you probably should do anyway. Um, I say with a sad sense of the disparity between us, I am not included within the pale of this glorious anniversary. Your high independence only reveals the immeasurable distance between us. The blessings in which you this day rejoice are not enjoyed in common. The rich inheritance of justice, liberty, prosperity, and independence bequeathed by your fathers is shared by you, not by me. The sunlight that brought life and healing to you has brought stripes and death to me. The 4th of July is yours, not mine. So I guess I just want to, like, I don't know, take take his argument. Like, um, is there is there something to what he's saying? Do you Totally. Is, is there something on a push? Oh, absolutely. Do you, do, you, do you feel any pushback to 4th of July is supposed to be a celebratory occasion and he is being critical at this moment? Like, is there, you know, like, what do we... What response do you have hearing this is this is his approach to 
the acknowledgement of the Fourth of July. I mean, I could feel the sting if you were in a country where they're celebrating their founding and you had not been freed yeah. or recently freed. Yeah. Like that's still that doesn't like celebrating the independence, especially independence when you have been dependent and under somebody's boot. Sure. Like that. Yeah, I, I totally get it. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> which I, is why I understand. Like, isn't don't we have the Juneteenth thing? Like the the celebration of yeah. the when. It's when the Emancipation Proclamation was right. brought was, to was Texas. Was brought to Texas, yeah. 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 Um, though full abolition wouldn't happen until the 13, 14, 15 amendments, which were, um, I think, six months later. But yes, uh, the we're, we're still many years off from that, right? This is 18, This is a decade before the Civil mm-hmm. War. And I think we're uh, maybe two years out from the Dred Scott decision where um, the Supreme Court, 7-2, so the Dred, Co- Dred Scott is, is a case working its way through the court system at this point. And will eventually come out to say that, um, um, call it, I, I believe the the statement is that um, black people who live in the in the land of the United States can't be citizens. That's why I'm under that. It would not be I, I couldn't say black Americans because they, they wouldn't be called yeah, American. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but anyway, like that they aren't citizens and can't have the rights of a citizen. Therefore, they can't sue for freedom, which was the case at hand. Um, so this is a like a, it's a bad time when uh, Douglas is giving the speech. So even yeah, even more so, he has like there are people that are still under oppression and yes. having left that and feeling the weight of something you had escaped but was still happening to people. Sure, I can absolutely understand not wanting to give a ceremonial like rah rah let's go U.S. Yeah, absolutely. And when it's an ideological celebration, like it's a celebration of the notion of, yes. of a nation um, being free from an oppressor. Yeah, Whereas yeah. it would be very different if you were going to it was like Christmas. If you're going to like sure. if you're in Poland and they were like celebrating the you know the the reign of a king, right. and someone was like, "Well, that's great that you're celebrating the reign of a king, but we're oppressed." Like yeah. that's completely different because it's an ideology that, in its very nature, should extend to his cause, which yeah. is the freedom of of enslaved people. Right. Like. Because they haven't pushed the idea far enough. He's right. like, this is great, but... Well, it's even, there, it's even a weirder time. Um, mm-hmm. So d- in line with what you're saying, um, at the time, Douglas will reference quite a few times there being 3 million enslaved, um, uh, uh, 3 million slaves living in the South, that, and that number is roughly equivalent to how many Americans there were at the founding of, of the country. So mm-hmm. just like even to, to draw so that. He's in, even going to draw that analogy. Yeah, there's, that, a, there's an enslaved nation in your free nation. Yeah, and, and imagine, yeah, yes. exactly, of the exact size of what you're celebrating here today. <laughs> and imagine if this injustice were done to those three million first founded, you'd be in the streets. You're Britain in this story. Yeah, yeah. yeah honestly. <laughs> are we the baddies? Yeah. Are we the baddies? Is that from something? That quote? Yeah, oh, there's yeah. this, it's a skit. What's that skit It was from? like a British skit show where these like, these uh, uh, they're two Nazi soldiers, and oh they're gosh. and they're like wearing the uniform, and they're in the trenches or whatever, and they're like, "Have you ever noticed that our uniform has like a skull on it?" And he's like, "Are we the baddies?" <laughs> he goes, are "We the, are the baddies." Are we the baddies? Like, no, it's simply. He's like, like no, it represents like, the our, the crushing of our enemies, and we'll break their skulls. And he's, he's like, like, "Yeah, but <laughs> like." A skull? Like, we could have gone with, a, like, a something besides a skull. Oh, the baddies. It's yeah. very funny. Oh, man. And then they look and they see, like, guys knitting the skull insignia. And he's like, I think so. And then they both flee. It's great. It's funny. 
Um, but yeah, no, it it's it's. But let me. But just to you have that on the one side, but then you also have that during this time. There's the widespread um, outlawing of the international slave trade. Mm-hmm. So this is something I didn't yeah, know. When did Wilberforce? When was the outlawing oh. of it in England? Well, let's not. So Wilberforce is later. Okay. So this is actually a weird thing I didn't know about. Is that the um, international slave trade? So you'll sometimes hear it called triangle trade or the Atlantic slave trade or whatever. This kind of um, triangle that goes England to Africa, Africa to the Americas. It includes Caribbean, South America, and, yeah. yeah, and then goes back to. Um, Europe and then kind of does the sorry if I said England, it's Europe, it's all of Europe. Um, Portugal, Portugal's the big one. I think they kick it off, but yeah. that, um, in addition to the atrocities of slavery, which are very bad, uh, lots of people also died, um, in uh, during that route. So I think death rates were somewhere around 15%. So of 100 people who would be put on a boat to be brought to the Americas, 15% of them would die, which is horrible. That's in, awful. in addition to the horror of slavery, just to say that, yeah, so that. Um, process got a lot of attention in Britain. I think Denmark actually was the first one to ban this um, import of um, this inter- international trade. But um, a lot of attention in um, Britain, a lot of attention in the U.S. And so in 1807, both Britain and the United States abolish this international slave trade. Mm-hmm. So the actual like movement, movement of people ac- across the ocean. Yes. Um, or internationally. Mm-hmm. Internationally. But within in, the nation. Intranational mm-hmm. is still allowed. And um, anyone who is here as a slave is still a slave. Mm-hmm. So um, slavery Just is no no more of the making new slaves. Yes. Well, they can have children, and those are still slaves. But you can't bring in. You can't like go. Yeah, capture new ones. Yeah, which is weird. Uh, hmm. And this was viewed as this huge win for the abolitionist movement, but it let it led to a kind of complacency of. Hey, we did it. We did it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like we did it. We we banned this. We banned the source of um, new slaves entering the country. This but is, meanwhile, this is kind of it. Mm-hmm. It's this weird moral dissonance, yes. right? Where they're like, we know this is bad, so yeah. no more of that. But yes. but the other stuff is okay. Well, it's not that bad. Like, it's, yeah. yeah, it's this weird thing. They, I think there was a genuine feeling of they've won something. Um, uh, but obviously that's, what's that, 60 years before yeah. the Civil War? Like, clearly things were not resolved by this. And even the thing that... Just when you look at the numbers, um, I think somewhere around 12 to 15 million people were um, taken from Africa and then brought to um, South America or North America. About 500,000 of those went to the United States. Well, the the slave population when Frederick Douglass is writing is about 3 million. Mm-hmm. So there's like banning the 500,000 across hundreds of years doesn't deal with the fact that there's still this institution that is growing over time just mm-hmm. from um, people having children in those being born into slavery, um, such as Frederick Douglass, right? Okay, so th- so there's both of those things happening at the same time. So uh, I don't know to what degree. Frederick Douglass, once, again, Dred Scott, once Dred Scott comes out, he has a speech about how bad it is. So the it's abolitionists are potentially doing a victory lap, and, yeah, they're, and they're like, oh, America, would like, we were so great, we did this thing, yes. and he's like, and but, he's coming in with this speech. Yeah. yeah. And then there was this other thing that was very popular at the time was like the, the question among the abolitionist circle was on what grounds are we going to get rid of slavery? Are we going to get sli- get rid of slavery in contradiction to the constitution or because of the constitution, mm. which maybe, uh, maybe I'll rephrase it more clearly. Does the constitution, is the constitution fundamentally a pro slavery document or is it fundamentally an anti slavery document? Hmm. And this was the debate that this was, was happening debate. within the abolitionist yes. circles. Yes. And this kind of this leads to kind of a 
Um, well, can we? Can you educate me on? So, what would be the argument that it is a pro-slavery document? What would be the argument that it is an anti-slavery document? I mean, I, maybe the anti-slavery doc, anti-slavery document is a little easier to argue for. All men created equal. Like that would be the sort of yeah. like the grounding text. Um, I'll do the. I think I'll, the order I'll answer you is in the reverse of what you asked it. Frederick Douglass answers one part of it very eloquently, so I'll say that last. Okay. The more boring part is just, so if you just read, like, there are sections of the Constitution. So the word slavery is not in the Constitution. Someone, I'm sure, listening will prove me wrong, but I believe that's, uh, that is a thing often repeated. There are two sections that clearly reference slavery yeah. that don't use the word slavery. Do you all want to guess what these two are? One of them we reference. Presumably before. has to do with property. Well, we referenced one of them before the podcast started recording. The remember? Three-fifths? Three-fifths compromise. Oh. So mm-hmm. the three-fifths compromise. So only men of good reputation, mm. landowning men of good reputation could vote um, at the founding of the, I think that's the quote, sorry if I'm wrong, at the founding of the United States. How do you determine good reputation? Uh, a lot of the stuff is handled pretty likes, locally. Instagram, so duh. I don't know. Uh, the huh? Instagram likes? Instagram, yeah. And, and that relationship of property to... Um, good reputation is not totally separated. So to be, to have a like productive farm is a sign of good reputation. There's, I, I couldn't give you the three bullet points. To be they, like a wandering circus performer? Not so not much. Not so much. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, AJ. Okay. But yeah. to determine how, um, to, to determine repu- uh, representation, they had to like count the number of people in each state. Well, they obviously counted all the people who could vote, but then they had a question of, well, how do we count everyone else? And so the decision was made to count three fifths of, I don't have the words in front of me. It doesn't, it, I want to say it, 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 it says like th- three fifths of all others. I, I can just get you the text. Hold on. Um, uh, no person shall have a representative who shall not have attained. Uh, no, this is not it. I don't, I don't have it in front of me. Um, mm-hmm. But that would be the grounding of. That's one. Yeah. Sorry. Mm-hmm. So one of them is the three fifths compromise that essentially had it that representation in the House of Representatives, um, the three-fifths of the number of enslaved people in a state would count for the representation. So a state with more enslaved people, more slaves, would have more representation even though those slaves could not themselves vote. Mm -hmm. So that's a type of enshrining of slavery. Mm -hmm. The other one, this is... Mm. um, Because presumably their representative is going to want to keep it that way. Because it has an allowance for slavery for, in the Constitution. Yeah, yeah. It, it has like gotcha. a category that like benefits from there being more slaves in the United States. Mm-hmm. The other one is, uh, this is Article 4, Section 2. No person held to service or labor in one state under the laws thereof, escaping into another, shall, in consequence of any law or regulation therein, be discharged from such service mm-hmm. or labor, but shall be delivered up on claim of the party to whom such service or la- labor may be due. Gotcha. So this basically... Escaping slaves is not a thing. Yeah, this is. I want to say it's called the Fugitive Slave Clause. This is not the same as the Act, which would come later, actually two years before. Um, but presumably, presumably that also had to do with people that were in some sort of indentured like, servitude. Indentured servitude yeah. that had a legal framework. Where it's like, all right, you got to work for seven years, and if this Irishman decided to go from and run away, run away, that that he fell under that category yeah. as well. So right. that, and that what okay. you're what you're doing is kind of the response is that because it doesn't only use the word slavery, it's not only talking about that, mm-hmm. um, which is like a true thing, but also it's very clear what... It's mostly about that, though. It is mostly about yeah. that, but not solely about that. How many indentured servants do we have running around? Yeah, I mean, there was lots. I mean, let's not be... There was a lot of indentured servants. Yeah, yeah. I don't know the number. Were there really? Yeah, I mean, when you had the Great Migration from England with all the... Um, uh, a lot of them were coming, and they had, under the pretense of 
come work for us for a little bit and you'll get your own land. And then was like, oh, well, you know, you actually got to work a little bit longer. And Oh, so um, standard human so, trafficking. Yes, yeah, so, yeah. So there was, so indentured servitude. But I mean, um, but like, let's not, let's not uh, flatter ourselves. Like the game was different for a white Irish kid than it was for like lifelong slavery yeah, of for an sure. African child. It's different in that indentured servitude had an endpoint, and the yeah. treatment of yes. uh, the Irish. Um, I, I don't know about the treatment of the Irish. I don't want to, or just in treatment of indentured servants in sure. general. Sure, sure. Um, so, th- so then that's the one side of it. Is that there are these at least those two parts that are like pretty clearly referencing slavery has a place in this mm-hmm. constitution. Um, the response I'll just give from Douglas himself, um, and this again is part of his criticism of the people in the room with him. Right. So they would be kind of on board for saying how horrible is the South? Here's the thing with the North is not doing well. Fellow citizens, there is no matter in respect to which the people of the North have allowed themselves to be ruinously imposed upon as that of the pro-slavery character of the Constitution. In that instrument, I hold that there is neither warrant, license, nor sanction of the hateful thing, but interpreted as it ought to be interpreted, the Constitution is a glorious liberty document. Read its preamble. Consider its purposes. Is slavery among them? Is it at the gateway or is it at the temple? It is neither. Cool. Um, he'll go further on. He'll cite like prominent legal scholars at the time to add to this point. Again, Douglas is an intellectual himself. He is not a lawyer. So he's referencing others who can. So he is saying, take the constitution to its logical conclusion. And you are living in dissonance right now by having yes, slavery. Exactly. That, and, and it's kind of what you, again, what you started with of, how do you answer this question of whether it's pro or anti-slavery? You can go line by line mm-hmm. and kind of make a determination, but like just read the declaration, yeah. like just read the constitution. Like are those documents that are in favor of people being under oppression or not? Mm-hmm. And the answer is clearly not. Um, and you can, yeah, you also have the the writings of founders who wanted slavery to not be an institution in the United States, obviously to form the union. They had to, there were compromises that had to be made. I'm not saying that's a good thing. It's not. But that's just kind of where it is. This tension has long existed, but what's actually built into the Constitution is liberty and what will and will mm-hmm. lead eventually to the liberty of all those living within the United States is the argument that he makes. Um, there's more that precisely what I have now denounced, uh, or he's just, he tries to, disc- he, he also gives a best case for this opposing side he finds it unconvincing. I just read you the part where this is the thing that like people in the North need to stop doing. They need to stop pretending that the constitution is opposed to them because really what's going to get them to the better place is the following of the founding documents of the country. Hmm. And I think that's the thing that's like super compelling about this is you can find abolitionists who just want to end the whole project. They think the American project is rotten to the core. Um, This actually is what will lead to, a, a split between Garrison and Douglas is that Garrison thinks that um, there's kind of no, form, no redeeming it, no redeeming it, and that essentially it needs to be um, destroyed. Uh, I don't, I don't. He doesn't take it the John Brown route of like instigating violence, but um, he he sees the document, uh, the Constitution, as fundamentally flawed to the core, and Douglas ultimately is convinced that that is not a true statement. It's interesting, like Frederick Douglas being a classically educated person, like going back, reading Aristotle, reading, reading right. uh, Shakespeare, reading all of the documents, uh, um, seeing that thread that comes through the ancient world that's woven into a lot of the, 
the um, the thread of the American experiment, right. and uh, to re- to retain that hopeful vision of of liberty. Yep. Whereas somebody else being able to be like, ah, well, we try and it's not working, and burn Let's all down. Burn right? all dust. Burn all down. Yeah. Right. Well, even that burning it down, it just seems like a weird thing because we are we are so far into the experiment that burning down the Constitution seems like this huge thing. But there are only what, 70 years? Yeah, yeah. that's a great point. Literally 76 years. So like saying like we should tear this mother down, well, I mean, it hasn't... We just did, right? (laughs) Yeah, we did. We did it. Like we, yeah, we did it like my dad did. Grandpa did. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And so like we could undo what my grandpa did and it's not a huge deal. It Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that everything's going away. We just got to get, you know, rework it and find out some things that works. Yeah. 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 And that's, uh, I think ultimately is what makes Douglas still like a really compelling figure to read. He's in this speech deeply critical of the current state of affairs. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't go into all the quotes in the middle. You can read it. He's like, uh, very clearly he's angry as he should be. There's, there, there's this huge inconsistency between the mm-hmm. values that are espoused and literal people in chains in the South. Like there's clearly a, a disconnect there, but what's the hope that one of the famous lines in this is that, uh, I think it's earlier on. I don't have it in front of me. It's, uh, my hope is that your nation is still young was the first part. We just read that about the Constitution. I'll just read this last one. Now take the Constitution according to its plain reading, and I defy the presentation of a single pro-slavery clause in it. On the other hand, it will be found to contain principles and purposes entirely hostile to the existence of slavery. Hmm. Um, Allow me to say in conclusion, maybe this is the quote, allow me to say in conclusion, notwithstanding the dark picture I have this day presented of the state of the nation, I do not despair of this country. There are forces in operation which must inevitably work to the downfall of slavery. The arm of the Lord is not shortened and the doom of slavery is certain. I therefore leave off where I began with hope. That's where he wraps up the talk. What a, man, yeah, what a beautiful, hopeful way to do it. Like it ends up being this... An inspiring document. I mean, like a yeah, document Yeah, like a really that, inspiring speech right. on the 4th of July. Like, yeah, it's dark. It's Because if you would have just Praised blown him. rainbows... Right. They would have, they're like, we're the abolitionist society. We know things aren't right. Tear it down. And if he, and if he said, let's tear this mother down. Well, they're also sitting together and he's a freed slave. And so I think he probably hit that perfect balance between saying like, this is your holiday, not mine. I'm still in a bad place. There are still slaves, but the country, like the, the roots are good and the tree will grow. Man, what a great, great way to do it. That's what I wanted to hear from you all. Um, We still have some time. I, um, like, is this a... Is this a persuasive technique that he's using? There's just something very powerful here of he's establishing common value with his audience and then kind of leading them through to say, this is the inconsistency between the reason we've all agreed to be here. All 600 of you are here because you love the 4th of July and also this thing is happening. It's not a, all of you are terrible, therefore Mm -hmm. do what I say. Does that make, am I being clear with this? Oh no, he's, he's incredibly winsome here. Yes. Yeah. So, but I don't know if there's, um, I don't know what I, I I don't have anything more to say about it other than it's the ability to affirm the good in um, what he views as a pretty dark past, right? Mm-hmm. Like again, it involves the founding of a nation with slavery, but takes what's good, kind of draws that to the modern moment, and sees something better in the future. I don't know if that's a I don't know if that's just a Douglasism, or I don't know if that's a, yeah. a technique in and of itself. Something you've the seen. The funny thing is that he er, early in the speech says, "Trust no promised future." Uh, uh, sure. Let it's, me read the. Uh, it's hard. It's a hard line to walk between berating and admonishing. Yes. And this this is more in the realm of admonishing than it is berating. Right. Uh, the admonishing being that there is a path out of this, 
Where, whereas the berating is, you're just you all bu- suck and this is terrible. A bunch of idiots. Which is not what he's doing yeah. here. And so um, the the skill or the ability to admonish is really needed one. It's sure. really and it's and it's a, such a useful tool. Right. Um, because it does, you know, it, it does move the will. Right. You know, Aristotle saying that um, there is no action without the movement of the passions, right? Something like that. Um, and so to be an admonishment is a way to do that, where if someone, as opposed to just being, like, talked down to, when you're done, you'd be like, well, that guy was mad. Right. Um, uh, an admonishment is he's right, and, and there needs to be a movement. So, you know, um, yeah, it's brilliant. It's, it's that rhetorical, yeah, using the the, the framework to move the to move the will of the audience. Sure. Yeah, and I, there's there's something here too of um, I don't know. Again, like in thinking of like a celebration like the Fourth of July, uh, I think Douglas shows this picture of you can there are, there are things that are clearly can be celebrated. There are clearly heroic things in the past that the only response to look at them is uh, applause, is celebration, uh, is lifting them up. But then also it's not wrong to then say, therefore, what do we do next from here? What's the, what thing is inconsistent with how we live? Or it's almost as a way of showing honor to those who came before us that established, again, what he's describing as a great foundation. Well, then we have to live in such a way to honor that, to kind of move that on to the next thing. And I just, I just don't know how else to put it. It's just like an incredible speech of both deeply critical of its moment Mm -hmm but painting a picture that ultimately comes to pass. Now, not without bloodshed and not without horrible things to come, but what he's describing happens. Now, the reframing of the moment, so you come to the 4th of July celebration thinking that you are celebrating this thing that is done. Yes. And the speech makes you realize that you are coming to this moment celebrating a thing that has started. Right, sure. And and then the seeds of which have a logical conclusion and to how he ends the speech saying that you know, the abolition of slavery is assured. Right. And so the ability to like, to take the, uh, to take the sort of the cultural institution of a celebration of a holiday and to rework it into a living thing that is going to continue on in the future is a really important and necessary um, uh, sort of element needed for, the, for a nation to understand its, or to be able to tell its own story. Whereas, you know, his buddy who wrote the newspaper, if his speech was like, burn this mother down, it's like, okay, you can fire people up with that, but then the morning after, now what? Right. You know, then you're in a nature red and tooth and claw territory. Right. So um, the ability to sort of recast the the holiday as, yeah, as as the beginning of the scene that needs to continue um, is super skillful. And, um, yeah. It makes me wonder if, an equivalent speech is possible today. Hmm. I, don't, I don't think, probably just because of the way the news is, where it's all sound bitey. I don't, I don't think someone would give a speech of this caliber. Because what it's you a get long is speech. No, I think, of it. yeah, it's a long I think there can be. I okay. think, it, but it's going to be something that transcends the, the sort of bifurcation narrative, right? Like you need sure. to have something that goes beyond just the, the red talking points and the blue talking points. Somebody that comes out that, that, 
either has no ownership on either of those or has the ability to play a higher game than just that, that bifurcation back But what forth. I mean is that even if the speech is glorious, what's going to happen is that one tiny piece of it is going to be the headline because somebody has an agenda. And so someone... Or here's would, how to think about what someone so just said. Reaction <laughs> video. Yeah, to yeah, the, yeah. And so I think what would happen, like, for example, this speech is they would take the abolition is assured... And they would publish that and say Frederick Douglass claims abolition is a sure thing, right. mm-hmm. and then have this big teardown piece about how he's trying to like rip up the system. And he, I mean, there, there's other the stuff they would find is that. Uh, well, he's got yeah, he's got some incendiary two, things. Yeah, two, two years before this, the Fugitive Sla- Slave Act is passed, which allows for uh, bounty hunters essentially to go to the north and bring slaves back to the south. And Frederick Douglass advocated for the murder, not the, the killing of these people who are trying to st- steal to people the bounty back. hunters. Yes, mm-hmm. and. So, like, that's the thing they would point to, right? Um, so there were plenty of things that would be sure. controversial in what he thought. His views on violence changed over time for what that's worth. But, yeah, th- you would be able to find something in the life of Frederick Douglass. To, well, you, I mean, or, or even just in the speech. Like, yeah, the sure. speech would happen and some people would watch it, but most everybody wouldn't watch it. And then what they would get is the single soundbite that is being sure. But you would twisted. have to have something that somehow got to everybody and had the ability to sort of like penetrate everybody's imagination before it got picked up by the sense-making organs of the media. That's what I mean by saying like you had some sort of meta. Uh, I mean, I don't I, even know what that would I be. I think the only way to do it is do it like do it so that the only people that matter are the people who are live there watching it, right? Or release it in full format as widely as possible, kind of like the Supreme Court does, right? They when they release a decision, they release the entire decision yeah. all at once. And that's and that's what Douglas did also. He at this point had established a newspaper and through the printing function would sell his speeches as pamphlets. So you could only get it as mm. the, there you go. The that's the ticket together. right yeah, there. Exactly. Is that flood the maybe the maybe it's to have your own news outlet and then when you sure. put the speech out, you put it out in full form. Sure. And I forget oh. I forget if it went bankrupt. I don't, I don't remember what happens to that. Um, but his speeches themselves were very popular hmm. at the time though. I mean, just it's, it wasn't convincing to the South. There still was a civil war 10 years later. So sure. it is onto something, but yeah, I do, well, when your salary is dependent on you not understanding yeah, something, yeah. don't, don't ask the barber if you need a haircut. Right? Yeah. Isn't that the, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, that, that's, yeah. I mean, that is, that's the reason, right. Is right. like the, the financial incentive to keep slavery going. Like right. they, you can, they just couldn't, comprehend a, an economic system without it because the labor was so needed at that. Well, it would be like us abolishing cars. How does our economy function without trucks? Or, or gasoline or, or some, gasoline something that, that or is, you know. With the but, obvious difference of them being people, but you're saying in terms of like economic impact. In, in terms of economic yeah. impact, yes. right? It, their, their whole economic system was sort of built on it. And sure. so like if, if the next day the president, the president was like, you can no longer use gasoline, well, there'd be a, gra- there'd be a lot of upheaval, right? I agree. Yeah, I don't think it was, I don't think it's the same degree. No, I no, think just, theirs is less well, dependent. The, I'm just saying the thing that's interesting is that they were able to ban the the shipment of um, new slaves and in the yet country. keep it going. Yeah, 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 that's it's it's just that weird sort of in between period. That's what I mean. Uh-huh. Like they were so bizarre as a people. They were almost uncertain on their mm-hmm, view on it. Mm-hmm. That's what you see again through. There are big wins for the abolitionists. There are big wins for unfortunately for the the slave owning states mm-hmm. as well. That's. Anyway, yeah, I don't want to go into like Missouri Compromise and all that stuff. So, is there a response that you, that studying for this episode? Did you study prior to yesterday when we celebrated? Yep. So, was there was there a response that that brought up in you going into the Fourth of July? Like, did you see it with new eyes? Did yeah, you, are you feel pooping different on about my it? speech I gave last night? I'm not pooping on your speech. I'm saying that 
I don't make, I hope you all don't feel this, but I feel a discomfort at like just the pure patriotic rah-rah on the 4th of July. Mm. And that's again, like just the discourse over the last few years in the country has been such a, like an anti-patriotic view that I both want to hold that something great happened in 1776 and also the project's not done. And I think Douglas gives that perfect picture of see with clear eyes, what was good, what wasn't do the work. And I think that's, I think that's the right place to land on. Mm. But prior to diving into Douglas, it was just discomfort for me of like, how do, like, how do I celebrate this day or how do I feel about this day? That's interesting. As I continue to read Rousseau, it's, it's kind of, I don't know. I've just been thinking a lot about this because at one point he talks about like, if you are living in the Commonwealth and getting the benefits from it, you are compelled to fight for that country if called. That is one of your responsibilities because they have been essentially protecting you from the vicissitudes of nature, right? right? From animals attacking you and people stealing your stuff. And like they have been doing that service for you. And so you are compelled to do that service for the rest of the country should it need you, which is a weird way to think about it. I don't think uh, hardly any of our modern students would. Yeah, I don't think it would have thought about it that way. But that idea of there being obligations placed on us, I think is an important one. Yeah. And that's, again, I look forward to your second episode because I don't know to what degree Rousseau agrees with that because he... Yeah, Rousseau is not fighting for France. Right. <laughs> like we choose to enter into that agreement via Rousseau. But Douglas is like, you are Christian. You like this, the, your religion places this obligation on you to emancipate yeah. the people. Uh, you are American. Your founding documents put this obligation on you to do this. And it's not you individual picket. It's this <laughs> to live in consistency with your values is to do these things. Yeah. So then what, what is his take on it after the emancipation proclamation is made? Um, my research didn't go that far. Okay. I apologize, but I'm just interested in like ostensibly someone could come back to him who heard that speech and was like, are we done? And I want to know what his, <laughs> what his answer would be. I don't want to, I don't want to yeah, go yeah. beyond my research. I know yeah. he, the, I know he continues to give many speeches into his later years and I want to say he become. I don't want to. Yeah, sure. That's fine. Let me look into mm-hmm. that and come back with it. Okay. But we are at the hour mark. So cool. who opened this episode? I, did. I don't know. Yeah. I did. Awesome. Well, that was, a, that was a great episode. This Thomas. has been really Classical Stuff You Should Know with Graham, AJ, and Thomas. Thank you, Thomas. Uh, if you want to email us, you can email us at theguys at classicalstuff.net. You can tweet at us on the twits at stuff. Um, uh, classicalstuff.net is our website. You can patronize us on Patreon. We have a monthly AMA, so if you have questions that you want to ask, you can be a Patreon supporter and ask us those questions. I think our last one was an hour and a half. Um, yeah, we <laughs> have we, yeah, it was long. Um, it was a long one. A good time. And even if, even if you aren't a Patreon supporter and you email us, we attempt to answer all of the questions that we can. Uh, but obviously, placing more importance uh, or time well, for people who are are supporting supporting and sure. who are. Uh, invested in in the podcast as much as we are um we also have a behind the scenes banter between episodes we do yeah we have an in-between banter which we're about to record after this um and so this is graham thomas and aj signing off bye ciao